All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, And we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. Uh, I am joined by, as always, my notorious compadre, Mr. Pizza Mind. Aaron, how are we doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Bryce. I'm glad to be with you on this podcast. It's a very strange time in crypto where we're starting to see things kind of come full circle. Uh, What I mean by that is this is May 4th. It is Star Wars Day, and <laughs> we're starting to see some, yeah, and also with you. And uh, we're we're starting to see um, some old episodes come back <laughs> to life that, uh, you know, maybe we had written off from the dead, but we knew that they were strong. Things like Dash and Zcash, and you know, the, the top caps are starting to finally get their chance to shine in the sun. Um, to bask in the glory, like Litecoin's almost near its all-time high again. Finally, years and we've been saying, years, you know, when you're looking waiting for this, yeah. And you know, we we do a lifer call every week, and we're talking about which coins are undervalued and overvalued. And shockingly, some of the biggest things in the industry are what's undervalued right now. So when we're looking for a good buy, a good value in crypto. Um, we get to kind of turn back the clock and look at some of the things that have been around actually for the longest, uh, maybe even the fundamentally strongest that have withstood the test of time, if you can believe it or not, are on a value discount right now. Mm. So I turn to you, good sir, and I say, have you found me a little mine shaft that can lead to the next great value? Well, as we talk about a lot, there's all sorts of different economies and ecosystems in Mm -hmm. cryptocurrency, right? There's the Ethereum ecosystem, which has, you know, a lot of the decentralized finance stuff. And then there's 
the you know the polka dot ecosystem and the cosmos ecosystem which are focused on bridging you know interoperability uh, mm -hmm, between mm -hmm. chains and you know there there's a new economy movement um that i've been hearing about and i want to learn a little bit more about the new ecosystem that's forming on nem uh so we've brought dave hodgson who is the uh this chief investment officer of NEM Group to talk about everything going on over there. So NEM uh, Group has a lot of stuff going on and we're gonna hear about it firsthand from Dave. So Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me guys. That's <laughs> a, a great intro. <laughs> yeah, we, we like to keep things pretty uh, pretty high caliber, action packed around here. Uh, so Dave, tell us, you know, before we dive into NEM Group uh, and what, you know, life looks like as a chief investment officer uh, who are you and, and kind of what, what drew you to crypto? Yeah, sure. So I'm a technologist by heart, been in tech for probably more years. And I'd like to recall that 15 or 20 now, I think. Um, mostly as a freelancer doing various different tech consulting, enterprise architecture type work. And then about probably four years ago now, um, I was asked by an energy company and I've been working in energy for a few years by then to look at a peer-to-peer -peer trading solution. And at the time, the regulations didn't allow for, for settlement across the existing settlement system. So we had to set up a virtual peer-to-peer -peer trading system. Turns out crypto is uh, pretty good at that. So we started looking at trading uh, domestic energy production with consumption across the, the national grid in the UK and a couple of European countries. Um, during that project, I, uh, I did an options analysis of, I think, about seven chains. Some of the ones you mentioned there at the start, Aaron, that were around back then as well. We selected NEM out of those seven. And then through that work, I got closer and closer to the ecosystem and gradually more and more involved until, I know it's a fairly common story, I went way down the rabbit hole and got completely absorbed. And now I'm in the ecosystem full time. So about three years ago, I helped set up um, the ecosystem venture fund um, with a team of three of us. I've been and, around and then, ever since. I kind of do want to focus on on something that you mentioned there. You you mentioned there was some je ne sais quoi, if you will, about NEM, right? The, the thing that you can't really put your finger on maybe, but something that just made it stand out. Um, could you kind of describe a little bit uh, about what you saw that made NEM really look like the diamond to you? Yeah, sure. So we had some specific requirements. Um, the chain had to be non-proof of work because it was a renewable energy project and predominantly focused on conservation and domestic generation. It's fine if you're using big wind turbines, etc. But if you have fairly high energy intensity, uh, proof of stake for that specific use case has a, a certain marketing reason for being there um, and the narrative fitted better with what we were trying to do. So that narrows the field down, obviously, to start with quite quickly. Um, after that, we were then looking for a chain that had been around for a few years. It stood the test of time for long enough to be reliable and we could trust it essentially. Um, it had to have had enough value transfer on it that we knew it wasn't going anywhere. Um, and finally, it had to be easy to pick up. So we didn't want to go for some specific proprietary uh, programming languages or requirement for heavy duty smart contract audits and all that kind of stuff because we didn't need that tech so we needed something that had easy apis uh, and the the dev team that we were working with were predominantly full stack enterprise type devs rather than blockchain crypto type devs and we needed something that they could pick up and use the tech that they were comfortable with 
without a huge amount of uptime and upskilling. So NEM basically fitted those three brackets better than any of the other ones we we stood up against it. Very interesting. So what was the high level overview of what the founders set out to build six years ago when they launched NEM? And what has it become today? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's kind of gone full circle. So way back, um, like six years ago, seven years ago, when the project started, um, the primary aims were to create, I mean, as the name suggests, a new economy movement that was um, more egalitarian in terms of distribution. It was easier to pick up. It was easier to integrate. Um, it was basically just a kind of a friendly intro to blockchain, if you like, that also had a, a solid utility use case for the token holders and that the token holder distribution at the start didn't rely on a plutocracy type distribution. Um, and over the last, I would say the public chain has been going for six years now. Um, it's done exceptionally well. We've had no security issues on the public chain, billions of dollars of value tokenized on it and transferred over it. Um, the first CBDC that was issued from an EU state bank is on NEM NIS1, the, the V1 chain. Um, so that definitely lived up to the original aim in terms of creating a new economy that wasn't siloed, like it was capable of moving value back and forth across other ecosystems. Um, and then through the development of NEM Symbol, which is the V2 chain, we've added a bunch of extra features that have kind of come along in the industry and in our ecosystem generally over that time to allow us to move more towards regulated assets, tokenization of things like non-fungible artwork, that type of stuff. So that's really cool. What we're seeing now is kind of, kind of a development of where it started. Sorry, Aaron. Go on. I was going to say, I think that's really cool because a lot of tokens came out with an initial purpose, but they lost their way. Bitcoin was supposed to be electronic cash. You could use to buy and sell anything every day but it ended up becoming like a digital gold and a store of value that almost no one really uses. Ethereum was supposed to be the world's computer with this decentralized compute infrastructure. And instead, you know, it's now like an investment platform for all these new projects coming out. Uh, unintended, but it sounds like NEM has really stayed true to its core, to its soul. Uh, and I think that's really cool. So you're starting. Um, the NEM Ventures, is that right? Uh, give us... Uh, yeah, so we, we started it three years ago. Yeah, so you started um, investing three years ago into NEM Ventures, and give us the high-level overview of what that is. Yeah, sure. So we um, back when I selected NEM for that energy project, the, the time there was a community grant scheme that was operating in a quasi-DAO-like manner, but it wasn't really fully DAO. Like, there was still a... It was just a larger group of people, but it wasn't fully uh, distributed or autonomous. Um, and it got to a point, particularly through the last uh, bull run, sort of end in 2017, where that grant fund was worth a significant sum of money just due to the token value toll denominated in XEM. And as a result, the volunteers that were running that to vet the projects that could then go out to the community to try and seek funds were essentially struggling to keep up with it. So we ended up with a backlog of like 30 projects. We were doing a couple of projects every two months. I think we were up to sort of three or four years worth of backlog before people were going to get to go and seek funding. So we needed to look at a way of streamlining that and, uh, and increasing the speed. So we put a proposal to the community through that old, old system, essentially to wrap the community fund up in a 
uh, trust that exists for, it's a perpetual trust or an imperpetuity trust that exists forever for the benefit of the NEM ecosystem and community. So it means it's, not, it's still not owned by anyone. The trustees are responsible for ensuring that it's managed in the best interests of the community and that the funds all go back to the community and projects that meet the thesis. And then we have NEM Ventures, which is uh, responsible for enacting that thesis essentially with a, a very small team. We've only got three or four of us in there full time. Um, that run through the standard kind of due diligence that you would expect from any other VC or private equity type investor. But we or we measure our success across a few different uh, metrics. So not just on financial return, although obviously that's in there because we need to keep making some money off it to in order to be self-sustaining and continue to invest. But we also measure it in terms of impact on the ecosystem and um, broadening of the the services and the types of projects that are in the ecosystem. So if we can manage to hit all three of those, then we're being successful. If all we do is make money, we kind of, we missed out somewhere and essentially we didn't enable the new economy. Awesome. So the sorts of things you're investing in, would you, or is it fair to say that those sorts of things are similar to what has already formed on the Ethereum ecosystem? So the, the decentralized finance applications and the borrow and the lending and, and stuff like that? Or is there something else um, that you're really excited about that, that, new, that the NEM blockchain is enabling as well? Yes, in terms of our investments, we, we've slowed down over the last year or so in terms of writing checks just because of focus on symbol launch primarily. But the types of companies that we typically invest in fall broadly into two categories. One is the sort of ETH-like companies, the ones that kind of want to add those kinds of services to the ecosystem, might want to produce a stable coin or DeFi lending type platform. On the NEMNIS one chain, it was a lot harder to do that than it was on ETH and than it is on NEM symbol. So we didn't see that kind of adoption, particularly on the V1 chain, although things like the CBDCs started to turn up towards the last couple of years. We tend to invest more in companies that are using the chain for some kind of real world potentially non-decentralized applications. So that might be supply chain tracking, uh, IP ownership or copyright ownership and enforcement, that type of stuff. Um, and also in system integrators who are using the technology to solve specific problems. So one of the companies is involved with um, ID and um, I'm not sure the best way to describe it, but kind of COVID uh, data tracking and distribution to help inform vaccine type work. And there's also an energy and electricity metering project designed to try and alter consumer behavior or enhance consumer behavior to try and save energy. So we have those sort of real world applications, but obviously we still have a significant interest in all things DeFi, NFT. We're one of the original proof of stake uh, chains, so you can earn a yield by staking the token through delegated harvesting, etc. So we definitely have an interest in that side. It's just the, the companies are a bit more nascent in that space just because their features didn't exist until them. Awesome. So I think a lot of people um, who like are, are getting into crypto now or who are just starting to learn, they think, okay, well, cool. There, there's new economy movement and it's this platform that people can come and they could build applications on. Um, but then they get confused because they're like, hey, well, there's a NEM token. Um, what, what do we do with it? What is it? Why does it exist? So would you be able to answer some of those questions? Um, and, and you don't, I mean, even, you know, we could say NEMS model versus Ethereum's model, or you could talk kind of in a vacuum, however you kind of like to think about tokenomics and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the, um, 
The, so the easiest explanation for why XEM or XYM exist is that they're essentially gas fees, right? Like for using the network. So in, in ETH terms, they would be gas fees. Um, with the creation of the, the V2 chain symbol, the brand has become somewhat confused and it's a little bit hard to penetrate the ecosystem. So it's probably worth taking a half step back and just kind of pointing out that NEM as a project is like an all-encompassing ecosystem. And it happens to have two blockchain solutions, both of which are public chain, both of which now live independently. We have NEM, there's one which has been there for six years with the XEM token, and you need XEM in order to pay gas fees. We also have then the NEM symbol chain, which is kind of the same as our, like an ETH 2.0 for us. It has the XYM token. The only way you could receive that at the initial token generation event was to be holding XEM and opt in. So you weren't forced to take it in an airdrop style like some of the older ones. It was more similar to the ETH2 distribution, but we didn't lock up your V1 tokens. And at the point that we launched the two chains, they then diverge entirely. So they're now two, two, two different economic systems, two different tech stacks. Um, they just happen to have been connected at birth for Symbol. And the Symbol chain uses XYM for gas. Now, the, the slight difference with XYM is that we have a concept of what we call an aggregate transaction, but other ecosystems call a subatomic transaction, which means that um, you can embed a significant number of sub-transactions within a single transaction. So that might be like an escrow where I send money to you, Bryce, and that doesn't get released to you until Aaron sends me some other token and you want to pay the gas fees on behalf of Aaron. So you send XYM for that. And we can kind of end up in a, in a weird sort of three-way conditional statement there. Um, you can develop that logic to an almost infinite level of complexity, certainly sufficiently complex that I can't map it out verbally or in my brain easily. <laughs> and it allows, importantly, the companies that are building and the, the projects that are building on Symbol to abstract gas fees away from the end user. So you never end up in a situation where the user has to be holding a large amount of gas in order to be able to transfer an NFT, for example. You would set up the peer-to-peer -peer trade as the platform, and then you, you could pay the gas fee on behalf of the users, um, which allows you to take a subscription fee in Fiat or some other crypto. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the UFI Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months, but don't worry when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recordings. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24 seven. So you don't have to worry about any issues you have and it comes with an 18 month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, 
Go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, from the end users and then pay those gas fees in crypto on their behalf. And the reason that that stuff starts to become very attractive uh, within the symbol ecosystem is if you think about the NFT marketplaces today, most of the time, if you want to issue or transfer um, an asset, you as the end user need to hold gas fees, sometimes depending on the ecosystem, a rather large amount of gas fees. Um, but if we took a football club, for example, or a large kind of sports community or an esports community, a lot of the end users might not be crypto users, might not care about crypto, really shouldn't have to care about the underlying tech particularly, but are interested in the NFTs and passing them around. If you can abstract that um, that tech layer away from them in the platform itself, then it allows you still to have all of the trustless nature, the P2P benefits of blockchain and people who want to delve into that can. People who don't, don't have to, and they can just keep interacting with the platform using fiat or whatever they're comfortable in until we hook them and then pull them into the ecosystem more. Yeah, I think that feature is going to be absolutely necessary going forward for any dApps application or dApps platform. Um, your end users shouldn't have to have to have a crypto wallet. I think that's been such a huge barrier to adoption for years. So uh, that's great that you guys included that. So all this crypto stuff can happen under the hood and people can just do what they want to do and get on with their life. And we've been yeah. saying for years, you know, that's really the key to mass adoption. Like we're going to hit worldwide adoption once people are using crypto and they don't know it. And I think yeah. that's a phenomenal first step towards it. Totally. Um, like if you, if you want to walk into Starbucks and pay with a QR code off your phone, the same as you would for Apple pay, you don't want to be trying to remember big hex numbers to, to work out which address you're dealing with and have to buy two or three different currencies because Starbucks uses one and the next chain uses another one. Like we can just make it easier for them. Yeah. And it looks like you guys are doing a great job at that. Uh, and another thing that uh, you're doing really well is distinguishing your tokens. And what I mean by that is 
every chain has its own token or coin or whatever, but it's really confusing. What's the difference between a coin? What's the difference between a token? Long story short, a coin is a digital asset that's intended to be a currency. A token is essentially a gas fee, a bus pass, access to a network. But while pieces of Bitcoin are called Satoshis, uh, Ethereum tokens are called ERC-20 tokens mostly, uh, the NEM tokens are called Mosaics. Yeah. How did you guys choose the name Mosaic? Um, and I, I really like it because it stands out. It's not a word you hear every day. You're not yeah. going to get confused when you hear Mosaic versus ERC-20. Yeah, totally. So the, the reason it came around, and I wasn't around at the time, this, this dates back probably six years ago, um, is that a mosaic is made up of composable parts, the different bits of other pictures that you put together to cause whatever it is you want to be um, presenting in the mosaic. Similarly, the tokens can be used for multiple different things. And by making them composable and by not allowing or not having a sort of custom smart contracts on chain, but having templated smart contracts you can invoke, you can stitch those together to behave in a certain way in a certain mosaic. Um, and the, the token infrastructure on them has always worked slightly differently and in symbols still works slightly differently. That if you want to issue a token on some ecosystems, you can only do it by coding or by creating a contract that then issues the token. If you want to do it on them, you log into the browser-based wallet. It's probably three or four clicks through the UI. And then like you've got a token and you can control the supply. You can emit it to different people. You can restrict who can hold it. You can apply various different conditional rules that you might see coded into a smart contract, but you can do it all through the, the front end. So you as a like an end user, you could issue the equivalent of an ERC-20 token in probably five minutes, never having used them before. Like it's it's really simple. Um, it does obviously come with some restrictions. It means it's not quite as extendable as it would be if you could do it all custom, but most people don't need all that custom stuff either. So, What is the future for both chains? Do they both exist or do they get married in, in some capacity? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. And it's still one that the ecosystem itself is trying to work out and the community is trying to kind of reconcile. So for right now, both chains uh, exist in parity. They they keep existing from now forevermore. I know there are projects which don't plan to migrate off Nemnis One and onto Symbol. I know other projects that do. Um, because the feature set on Nem Symbol is significantly wider and the tokenomics is quite a bit more attractive for staking, particularly, it's likely there'll be certain services and particularly enterprise services that are going to migrate towards Nem Symbol as their first interaction. But Nemnis One is still running the same as it always has. It still has artwork tokenized on it. I think there's a Monet and a Picasso last time I checked that are tokenized on it. We've got a CBDC there. Like it's not going away any anytime soon. Um, the the core developers are working with the CTO just now to look at open sourcing NIS one even more than it is already. Like it's mostly open source, but there's just a few bits that weren't. So they're doing security reviews and kind of brushing up that code ready for, for the full open sourcing. The other side is that because of the way we started Symbol, as I mentioned before, you had to opt in to receive tokens. You had to do that opt-in on Nemnis One. If you want, if you didn't manage or you weren't paying attention or you were away or whatever, and you didn't see that you had to opt in, you can still opt in for another six years. So that chain is like duty bound to be there for six years because there's still value there that may or may not want to be claimed on Symbol. Um, so yeah, they, they both chains are going to exist from now forevermore. I would expect to see 
the NEM symbol use cases probably come out a bit stronger, especially in the regulated asset space um, with things like STO support at layer one um, that NEMNIS one just doesn't have, but equally it has some features that symbol doesn't have. So on-chain voting just now, for example, if you wanted to run a DAO-like uh, voting structure. Um, and as more value moves on to NEM symbol, then NEMNIS one becomes lighter, so the gas fees become even cheaper. So it kind of almost becomes like a layer two data solution. Um, the other aspect is that it, there's no reason why NEMNIS one couldn't become a side chain of NEM symbol at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not right now, but um, really it, it depends on what the community guide that development to be and, and prefer that development to be. We have no strong bias for whether it does or doesn't go that way. Awesome. Um, wow. So yeah, so there's a lot going on in the NEM ecosystem. If, if you kind of had to describe like one of your favorite investments or favorite, you know, applications or projects that are being built on NEM that you you kind of help bring to fruition, uh, what would it be and where could uh, the good the good folks, the good citizens of Crypt Nation who are listening right now, where can people go check it out and maybe get their hands on it and, and, and tinker yeah. around? That's one of the things that I think is so much cooler about this bull market than last bull market is like last bull market, there were just white papers and ideas and, and, and thoughts, right? And now like they're, they're applications and, and they're real things. Yeah, absolutely. So there, I mean, there's a few, it's always really hard to pick one because it means implicitly the other ones think I'm not picking them. I can think of probably 10 off the top of my head. The yeah. one that grabs a lot of attention and headlines and particularly for an investment type audience um, is that we have a, a whiskey fund uh, being launched out of the US, a tokenized, like regulated security um, that is going to be issuing, I think it's the end of the year, I'm trying to remember the dates off the top of my head. Because of the Reg A and Reg D regulations in the US, I think they have to wait 12 months before they can issue from when they stop taking in the funds. Um, but essentially, what they've done is um, to go out and secure a full production run of premium Kentucky bourbon whiskey. And wow. then they warehouse that and age it like the same way as you normally would if you didn't have crypto involved, bottle it at some point in the future and it becomes worth more money, obviously, as it gets older and smoother and all the rest of it. The fund is a, a regulated structure based uh, or being issued through a regulated investment advisor in California called Wave Financial. And they will take care of managing all of the whiskey. They'll take care of the bottling process. If you want to trade your tokens in at the end for bottles or barrels, depending on how many you've got, um, that's an option. And you can obviously go through that discussion with them. Um, but critically, what the the blockchain enables from this type of fund, so you could do all of that stuff without crypto. You really wouldn't need it at all. But what the crypto and blockchain uh, token or asset allows you to do is to generate a secondary liquidity market that wouldn't be there otherwise. So I can go and buy two and a half thousand barrels of a production run, but it's pretty hard to go and sell a bottle out of each of those barrels if, have, if I haven't bottled it yet, or if I want to get rid of some of the barrels and not, not the rest. Um, typically, you would do that as part of a whiskey club or you'd be ultra high net worth. What this means is you can bring it right down to a very fine granularity. Um, I think the regs mostly because the government rules still require you to be an accredited investor, um, at least for the US. But it allows a much wider um, democratization, really, of access to that asset class that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get, but all done within the wrapper of the normal safe 
investment practices you would see as safe as they are in terms of government regulations. Um, so yeah, that, that's definitely one of the coolest. It allows me to riff off it and say that it's one of the most liquid investments I can think of. But you know, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> the Whiskey Fund by Wave Financial. Um, so yeah, so that's not an endorsement of it, uh, you know, on our part, but that's something cool you guys could go check out and see see what they're doing. Um, really cool stuff, and I, and you know, thank you for for sharing that. I've got you know, full disclosure, no. Um, I don't know stake in the whiskey fund, but it but it sounds interesting. Uh, yes, yeah. Sim- similarly from my side, that's yeah. not financial advice and all of the usual caveats. Um, right. I also don't have a stake in it, but Nem Ventures is on the cap table for Wave Financial, so we don't hold the fund directly, but we do hold shares in the issuing company. That is uh, pretty interesting, indeed. Uh, Nem really is a, a worldwide project, and perhaps could be even found in a galaxy far, far away. You've got websites in five languages, Telegram channels in 14 languages. Uh, it's one of the most diverse followings I've seen anywhere in crypto. Uh, what's the secret sauce, since we're talking about whiskey, uh, towards getting an international audience and growing in so many directions? Yeah, so what Nem did, I think, really well back in the, the early days was not to try and control the community or force everyone into one language group. Um, there were also different nationalities on the founding teams and the various different entities that have come afterwards um, and deliberately haven't been concentrated into one geographic region or one sort of diaspora. So where we did get very lucky is that the Japanese community for NEM is exceptionally strong. Um, we are frequently the second in terms of trading volume behind Bitcoin in Japan, but you wouldn't necessarily see that in non-Japanese speaking cultures, because it's obviously quite a hard language to penetrate and there's not a lot of crossover generally. But um, a couple of the original founding team or the sort of founding teams that came shortly afterwards were Japanese and did a very good job of promoting. So our community there is, I forget the size of the Telegram group, but it must be somewhere in the region of 15 to 20,000 of only Japanese speakers. Um, if you see a lot of the the use cases in the Twitter um, articles that come out and sort of the medium-like articles that we would see, a lot of that comes out in Japanese as well. Um, it gives me personally problems. I don't speak Japanese. I have to rely on uh, Twitter's translate button, which is not always entirely accurate. Um, but we do have Japanese team members that make sure they pull information out for us and, and highlight the important parts. So we're partnered with a, a marketing agency up there called Nikkei, who are the guys that sponsor the, the National Stock Exchange up there. Um, and we're very well hooked into the general financial ecosystem up in Japan. Um, it's a much more heavily regulated crypto industry. If you want to list a new token as an exchange, you have to apply to the regulator to get approval. And that goes through a couple of steps, it can take up to a year. Um, and then if you want to add a second pair to that, it still takes like another six months. You need to go back and just say, hey, like we missed the USD pair. We want to add that. Um, so what that means is the listings are really slow, but these exchanges are heavily regulated. And if they get hacked, they have to have strong liquidity behind them to refund all that kind of stuff. Um, so we have that side of probably 30% of the community. And that's probably and then, due to uh, the Mount Gox hack that happened in Japan where, you know, something like, you know, a billion dollars worth of crypto or something was stolen way back in the day and happened in Japan. So those guys are still trying to pay back the uh, the people that are owed money. And yeah, I mean, I'd be pretty strict too if, if that was the scenario in my country. Would you, Pete? <laughs> I mean, 
I don't know how slowing down listings is going to make my crypto more secure, but definitely some uh, SOC one type standards uh, would be a good jumping off point. No need to choke uh, every single point of entry and exit in the ecosystem yep. to try and claim a false sense of security. Yep. But what do I know? No, I, I mean, I tend to agree. So from the outside, I think that process is primarily because there's a like an audit requirement basically for there to be a stock of fiat in the in the exchanges accounts that are audited that proves that if they lost that amount of crypto they'd be able to reimburse probably for the reasons you outlined Bryce. Um, but yeah it's essentially retail investor protection it's just uh, obviously done in a culturally different way to the way we're used to fantastic well dave while we have you um before we let you go you know there's a lot of new people that are listening to the show and they just want to know you know hey it's my first week or my first month in crypto. What should I know before diving in? You know, even if, if this is the first podcast they've heard, what, what should everybody know, before, you know, as they dive in here? Well, you kind of touched on it earlier. The, the first one for me, the most important one is don't leave too much crypto on an exchange that you can't afford to lose. Mm. Work out how to secure your assets. There is no one here who can hand them back to you if they get lost. I've met people who have lost tens of millions of dollars in one hack. Um, there is no good reason for having a large number of assets sitting on any third-party um, platform or system. You should be self-custodying securely yourself. Very well edit, said, right? Dave. Not, not your keys, not your crypto, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, many guests have said that before, but not enough. We cannot stress that enough over and over and over again. And even if an exchange isn't hacked, uh, there's so many different warning systems and things that can cause your funds to be frozen. And with crypto absolutely exploding, the wait times for a support ticket is sometimes over a month long. And that is a terrible position to be in if you're trying to transfer your crypto around. And also, I would you know also say, uh, invest in good things that can be transferred off an exchange very quickly. I know Ethereum Classic is absolutely exploding in price right now, and we're getting more and more questions about it, but due to the insecurity of the chain, sometimes it takes up to two weeks for a transformation, uh, oh transaction God. to confirm on an exchange. Like Kraken takes two weeks to ridiculous. confirm. So it's ridiculous and it's such a, uh, it's unusable. Well, it's been 51% so, attacked like three times. Three now. times. Yeah, in like the past year. So uh, <laughs> some things are more important than temporary gains. And one of those things is definitely security and risk management. Absolutely. So those yeah, are my closing thoughts. That would be second on my list is to make sure anything you're buying, you understand what it is, why it exists, what it's going to be used for. Like the price speculation is cool and everybody likes making money, but um, you're still investing in fundamentals at the end of the day. Or you should be. Like, yeah. If, if you're buying, you know, something that's posing to be a digital gold, make sure that it hasn't uh, recently within the last uh, year failed at that three times consistently. <laughs> Anyhow, not trying to shit on Ethereum Classic or anything. Guys, do your own research. Have fun. Happy trading. We hope everybody has a great rest of the week. Yes. Dave, thank don't you so much. <laughs> don't invest in an exploded Death Star, hoping it's going to be rebuilt. <laughs> Dave, thanks so much for joining us, sir. We'll talk to you soon. 
Thanks for having me, guys. It was good to speak. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.